This podcast, which references the book The Lost Boys of Soho by William Hampson, represents the author's account, experiences and present recollections over time. Names, characteristics, descriptions, dates and locations have been changed to protect both personal and commercial identity, reputation and interest. Any similarity to real persons or business, living, dead or trading, is coincidental and not intended by the author. Welcome to another week of Spilling the Tea with me, Gloria. Hi, Gloria. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm excited for today's show. Me too. And also at the end of this podcast, you and I are both hosting the, the Shadies. The only award ceremony that truly honors the shadiest of shady bitches. So you spilt the tea on managers Adam and Jack. And I'm excited to hear the tea on the other Lost Boys. Okay, let's spill some tea. From the book, we learned quite early on the Lost Boys are split into two camps. The originals and the newbies. How did that come about? So after the COVID-19 national lockdown ended and society was reopening, um, pubs included, you know, naturally they'd lost a couple members of their team who had perhaps gone to work on the front line and was, was still very much enjoying that. Or they'd had a lot of time during the, the national lockdown to reevaluate their career, yeah. you know, just as I did. Lost Boy Kenzie was the one that was very vocal in um, referring to the, who was referring to the pre-COVID-19 team as the originals and no myself and the other new starters as the newbies wow and i understood that you know this was perhaps a little bit unhealthy uh-huh. because you know if you're working in a fast-paced environment um such as a pub it's vital that you know the team is all as as one really yeah. because you're all there for one one purpose and one purpose only and that was you know, to generate revenue exactly and it was really unhealthy to have a team that was perhaps divided um, in two halves by Lost Boy Kenzie because it just creates a negative atmosphere which mm. which in turn can affect the customers which, you know, generally affects the revenue. Exactly. So, you know, he was, he was being very shady really but I can't say that it bothered me but I know it did bother a couple of the other uh, Lost Boys. On your first day, you quickly realised Lost Boy Johnny is clearly on your wavelength. Yeah, essentially Johnny was a little bit like myself, you know, he just had no filter. He just generally just said what he wanted to say. And I suppose some of the things that he would say could be classed as not very politically correct, perhaps a little bit outdated. <laughs> and and at times, I guess, perhaps a little bit insensitive. You know, so I suppose, you know, to a degree, he had the caustic element, you know, of, of saying things that perhaps other people were too scared to say. Yeah. And that was very much my sense of humour. And I mentioned in the book how... And we got talking about me walking home really late at night and through a dodgy area. And Johnny said, oh, well, dear, beggars can't be choosers. But thank God for prep to keep the AIDS at no bay. Way. Actually, that just reminds me. And he literally just whooshed off to go take his prep pill. <laughs> I just God. thought, you know what? I'm going to get along with this guy. But would you say beneath the fun and frolics, there was a shady side to Johnny? Well, I think everybody has a shady side to them uh-huh. you know perhaps you don't always see it and perhaps as i saw with johnny you know as much as he complained that jack was very two-faced johnny himself was was very two-faced really? as as jack would turn his back you know johnny would be so two-faced and would just start reeling off comments and remarks that were just beyond shady they, you know you couldn't even class them as being sh- super shady they were just very just very bitter and and vicious no and to the way. point where i would say to him actually I, I don't want to know this this is this is too much information because he would just overshare information you know perhaps personal aspects of jack's life you know oh that my. perhaps he'd confided in johnny and it would just make even me somebody who was just very open had no filter it would just make me feel 
um, very uncomfortable because I would just think, actually, I, these are aspects, you know, how Jack douches and, you know, cleans out his arsehole is not oh really gosh. kind of information that I wow. want to, to hear. So, you know, Johnny would complain that everybody else was two-faced, but he was two-faced himself. Yeah. I remember one time he asked me, we were outside setting up the furniture and he just made a comment about Adam's recent promotion. And Johnny asked me my opinion and I said, look, I just don't think he's going to make a really good manager. Uh-huh. And Johnny asked me why. And I said, I just don't think he's good with managing people. And Johnny said, oh, well, you do know he's my friend. And I said to Johnny, I said, Johnny, firstly, I said, I know <laughs> you and Adam are very good friends. I said, and two... I wouldn't tell you anything that I wouldn't tell Adam to his face. Awesome. And Johnny just laughed and then started to share his opinion of Adam's um, recent promotion. And Johnny said to me, look, he said, I completely agree with you. He's not a people's person. He's not very. He's not <laughs> a very good manager. You know, he gets people's backs up. Exactly. He doesn't know how to speak to people, if he can be bothered to speak to people at all. And I appreciated Johnny's honesty, but, you know, he was somebody that would constantly go around saying that, you know, I'm not shady, I'm not two-faced, but in reality, he was. So you mentioned Lost Boy Kenzie, and from the start of the book, he certainly wasn't shall we say shy oh absolutely you know kenzie wasn't wasn't shy at all you know he came up to the bar and and pulled up a stool Uh and introduced himself by saying hi i'm kenzie and i'm a complete slut looking for a rich daddy really and i was like oh okay i was even you know even for me i wasn't shocked but um you know i was slightly taken aback. um although it, it did turn out to be you know just him being honest <laughs> yeah. and then kenzie just started to reel off his STIs. No. Yeah, I've had way. I've had chlamydia four times. I've had gonorrhea twice. Shut and up. I've had syphilis three times. And oh, and then I had a rare breed of crabs. Have any of the others told you no that yet? Way. Because I had this rare breed of crabs that were infected with an STI. So I got another STI from the crabs. Oh, and then I had scabies, and I give the whole team scabies, wow. and that was because a customer gave me the scabies, and I just was like, fucking hell, you yeah. know? And I just was stood there, and I was absolutely gobsmacked which was unlike me you know i just Mm. i just was really quite shocked i mean i've always been embarrassed you know when i've gone to work and you're supposed to report you know if you've had the shits (laughs) and i just never would because i was always just too embarrassed Mm -hmm. but here he was just quite confidently you know a young a young guy in his early 20s just reeling off all the stis you know (laughs) yeah but he was really energetic, fun, and and outgoing. You know, he was he was really loving life and and really loved working at the pub. And as I said earlier, you know, for him it was a sense of, um, as well as acceptance, community, and and family at the pub. Awesome. I think it was perhaps quite telling that you know he did coin the term team newbies or the newbies and and the originals. You know, I think perhaps he did to a degree feel quite threatened by the new members of the team because exactly. one, it was quite a large intake of new people um, which perhaps they'd not experienced um, before uh-huh. and as individuals we all had our different quirks and personalities you know some of us were funnier than others and you know you know some of us were perhaps more interesting than than others and when I say others I mean also as well the the originals you know so yeah you, you know you did see some of the originals start to befriend some of the some of the, some of the newbies and I think perhaps maybe Kenzie just felt perhaps threatened by the by the newbies. He really was trying to create a divide. And to a degree, he, he, he succeeded in yeah? that. Kenzie not only saw himself as the baby of the group, you know, he, he, he proudly told everybody he was the baby of the group. And I didn't realise that he meant quite literally because I slowly started to see that 
when Adam or Johnny gave him an instruction, he would stick out his bottom lip to sulk like a baby, which would then often be followed by him putting his clenched fists up to the corner of his eyes. What? And he would, you know, move them in circular motions to to give the impression that he was crying. No Johnny and Adam way. then would back down and, and give the task or the instruction to another lost boy. So... Quite quickly, actually, a lot of the Lost Boys started to resent, or should I say, the newbies, started to resent Kenzie. Yeah. They knew this was a rather bizarre tactic and, and, and wasn't quite right. You know, him behaving like that really kind of only, again, just strengthened the, the divide that he'd put in place between the newbies and the originals. Uh-huh. But, you know, when he was fun, he was fun. I can't really? say that he was um, laugh-out-loud hilarious, but... You know, he, he he could be shady at times and be fun with it. <laughs> and did Kenzie find a rich daddy? Um, I can't... I don't think... Well, looking... Well, <laughs> um, well, he had three on the go. Whoa. Daddy in the sense of just very old men that were rather rotund and didn't look very hygienic, mm. which would perhaps explain the scabies and how he had many of the same STIs. Yeah. You know, he shared with me quite openly that they would give him money in return for sex or they would buy him gifts. Really? And it wasn't always sex, he said. Um, a lot of it was an emotional transaction. So no, I don't think he found a rich daddy, um, but he certainly had free daddies that were quite happy to buy him gifts and give him awesome. cash. The one that seemed a bit of a bore was Lost Boy Blair. Oh, he was a bit of a Roy Cropper, actually, from Coronation Street. You know, he had his <laughs> knitting circle. But, you know, he'd come from a very small village in Scotland. And from all accounts, you know, his family were very strict. Mm. And he'd only been in London for a year and a half. And the majority of that was through the COVID-19 lockdown. So he'd not really had a chance to go out and let his hair down, you know, perhaps experience the London gay scene. Uh Yeah, he had his knitting circle and he was actually quite fun to talk to, I think, because he was somebody that was very different um, to myself and the other Lost Boys. Um, So, you know, it just added another dimension um, to the group. Although sometimes, you know, as was like all of us can be, you know, sometimes, you know, he was a bit dull and a little (laughs) bit boring. He had his knitting group. um, So he was always talking about knitting. I was quite interested in his knitting, but I think at times, you know, he perhaps thought I was taking the piss. And not long after I'd worked there, he'd been promoted to a supervisor position, which actually I just found quite astonishing, really. He didn't have the experience nor the qualities of a a supervisor, you know, somebody that would lead a team. And he himself had said that he'd not applied for the position. It literally just been thrust upon him. With that, he slowly developed not just his skills in being a supervisor, which I'd not really seen right up until the day that I'd left. But he did develop a very kind of shady side, you know, very kind of nasty side. And again, I suppose that had come from him moving from the Lost Boys staff room up to the management's office. Yeah. I just, after several weeks, I remember just, just, you know, perhaps being a bit shady with him. You know, after a couple of weeks, I said to him, that move to the management's office has really gone to your head. You know, you've really changed. And he was like, oh, why? And I was, you know, just having a bit of a laugh and a joke with him, but Uh perhaps being a little bit shady at the same time. And I said to him, I said, yes, because, you know, you've you've turned into this really kind of shady person. (laughs) Yeah. I think he was not only shocked by, you know, my remarks, but I think he really did take the time to perhaps think about it because he came back to me 
a week or so later and said, oh, actually, yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from. And I remember him saying that, you know, he would try and work on it and change. And I said, look, don't work on it too much, you know, just just go with the flow. If you've got a shady side and it's, you know, it's going to flourish um, working here or working with certain lost boys, then then why, why stop it? <laughs> you know, just, yeah. just go with the flow. And would I be right in saying this next lost boy was not so much lost, but more the mother of the house? Yeah. Oh, my God. I loved Elias, a.k.a. T. He was just a really nice guy, you know. I just absolutely loved, respected, and enjoyed working with Elias. And and also, as well, he was a stalwart of the gay scene, you know. Um, before coming to London, um, you know, he'd lived and worked in New York City in some of the you know, in some of the big gay clubs out there. Wow. You know, he was so old school that it was just fantastic. You know, I just absolutely loved working with him. And I think I I talk in the book that, you know, I was kind of hoping that this pub would be almost like what you see from the 80s, uh-huh. you know, with the, with the dry ice, the cigarette smoke, the men in vests, you know, the neon lights. And he'd certainly experienced that over in New York City. And and when you worked on shift with him, you just you just felt like you were in the eighties. It was just, you know, you could just imagine dry ice and neon lights and you know Muslim men in vests and handlebar mustaches and, you know, he just he really gave off that energy. And I just I absolutely loved working with him. You know, and even the mother of the house didn't escape Adam's vicious tongue. <laughs> Do you know, I don't think anybody escaped Adam's vicious tongue. You know, it's it's. It's really bizarre that you work with somebody who just doesn't like anybody. I just wasn't able to see what it was they were saying. Mm. It just seemed to me that Elias was such a nice guy that they just didn't like that. And it's quite weird to say that, actually, because when somebody's nice, they're nice. In the last episode, you mentioned Lost Boy Simon, who only appears briefly in the book. Yeah, I liked Simon, but he was was a very... um, He was a very quiet character... I mean, all you'd ever hear him saying was, fuck my life, fuck my life. And that was generally when, you know, something had gone wrong or he'd made a mistake at work. And that's all he ever said. Um, it was quite hard to have a, a conversation um, with Simon. And I did ask a couple of colleagues, I don't know if it's just, maybe it's just me. Do you know, do I need, do I need to change my approach? And they said, oh my God, no, he's like that with everybody. You know, he has told us that he has been diagnosed with with bipolar but you know you'd come into work and he'd be in the changing room he'd play he'd be sat on his phone playing some video game like mario kart and you'd say hi simon and he'd look up and just look at you and then just look back to his phone and i'd think no way bipolar or not it doesn't take a lot just to say to somebody hey you're right yeah you know that's all it's all it needed but he just never would he would never really speak so it did get to the point where you would get to work and just say hello to simon knew that you wasn't going to get a reply, not to take it personally, and just get on with the rest of your shift. And as I talk about in the book, you know, I was a little bit worried about his kind of lifestyle because, you know, he had a conversation with Blair um, that I was listening into when he was saying that he screens his hookups on these hookup sites just by their photographs, which apparently he was able to determine whether they had HIV. What? And generally, you know, he said that he would go for fat people because fat people don't have HIV. And I just thought, whoa, this is just, just absolutely blew my mind. And when I was overhearing this conversation, I was giggling to myself because I thought, I just want to turn around and go, hey, bitch, look at me. Do I look like I'm skinny? I'm a little bit (laughs) chunky. 
um, to put it nicely, but you know, I've got HIV, so that fairy you're going off, you know, clearly exactly. isn't, isn't a good one. I don't know about you, Will, but I'm feeling peckish. Oh, have you smuggled in some snacks? Fancy a bagel? Mmm, no. I know where you're going with this. Really? You're referring to Bagel Boy. Yeah. And I really haven't got anything to say about him because, as I talk about in the book, um, he obviously had quite a lot to say about me, uh, which I just found really bizarre um, because I'd never worked with him. As far as I'm aware, I never was introduced to him. <laughs> yeah. I never spoke to him. And would I be right in saying you perhaps saw a bit of yourself in Lost Boy Rudy? Um, I suppose maybe... A little bit. Um, I certainly didn't act like the dumb blonde. Um, I think with me, it wasn't so much an act. It was it was real. When I was Rudy's age, I mean, he used to refer to the customers as peasants and actually meant it. Yeah. Um, you know, why am I here to serve these peasants? He'd be like, no, this is your job, oh, Rudy. Wow. You know? Yeah, I don't like customers at the best of times, you know. And mm. I think the difference between me and Rudy is I actually listened to my peers um, when I was Rudy's age. And I tried to pass on information to Rudy. Yeah. You know, and he didn't always listen to what I what I told him and perhaps if things didn't work out or, you know, he would come back and say, actually your advice was really good and I say, look, it's not my advice. I'm literally having the same conversations with you that you know, that my peers had with me 20 odd years ago. You know, I'm literally just repeating the same shit that they told me. Um, but, exactly. but yeah, although Rudy was really fun to work with, at times, you know, he he could be quite exhausting. But what I quite liked about Rudy was that he appreciated my honesty. Um, so I would just, you know, just tell him tell him straight. Would you say you took Lost Boy Bobby under your wing slightly? Um, not so much under my wing because I think with Bobby, he didn't necessarily know what he wanted in life, but he knew how to get it. Uh-huh. And I know that probably doesn't make any sense, but the point being was, you know, he didn't necessarily know what he wanted at that moment in time. Yeah. But I knew he was a really kind of strong individual that he would know how to get it once he did know what he wanted. Exactly. I think for anybody working in a pub um, or a bar, it is very much a stopgap. And I think for all us Lost Boys at the time, it was a case of none of us really kind of knew what, what it was that we wanted at that moment in time. And I think, you know, since publishing the book and, you know, right up until today, you know, I know a lot of the Lost Boys have now left and have started fantastic new careers or have gone back to their old career um, or have gone back into studying. Awesome. I think the moment that anybody leaves a pub or a bar symbolises that, you know, you've actually determined what it is you want and you're now setting off to go and get it. And I think it's perhaps quite telling for the people that have been left behind and have been mm. left there for a number of years because quite clearly they don't know what it is they want and are perhaps, you know, are a lot more lost than than some of us. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, you know, if something works for you. I mean, look, Simon apparently started working at the pub to improve his English and his level of English wasn't very good when I when I worked with him. And it was very limited and he'd been there for nearly a decade. And the other Lost Boys that are still there and have been there for a tremendously long period of time uh-huh. do seem to be living a lifestyle that is perhaps not entirely healthy. And when I say that, as I mentioned in the book, you know, that's really down to substance abuse. Mm. They just seem to be in a cycle where they're going around in the circles just doing the same, the same shit, really. Um which is which is a tremendous shame. Your first encounter with Lost Boy Alex was a bit of a sore point. <laughs> I think it was a bit of a sore point for him, no? <laughs> His arsehole was on fire! <laughs> you know, he literally just was a broken record telling us all that 
he'd had a foursome with four guys off grinder and that he was the bottom <laughs> and you know he was finding it very difficult to walk so yeah he was irritating on his first shift so much so that you know once i'd said hello and i'd listened to the story about him being slammed by four guys um the night before once if not twice i then just kept my distance and and just tried to stay out of his way actually the next day i wasn't so much looking forward to working with him but actually he'd calmed down quite a lot and I think that just turned out because he was he was no longer high. And I think essentially wasn't trying to impress us all. So much so that we just spent the whole shift pissing ourselves, um, laughing. You know, he's such a cool guy. But you both became break buddies and deliberately separated at times. Yeah, we got on so well that this really pissed off Adam. Um, you know, in one breath, he would say, you know, you and Alex are my, my best workers, you know, because you both work really hard. You both just focused on getting your shit done, but having a good time and creating a really good environment, both for the team and for the customers. Um, but then in another breath, he, Adam used to deliberately separate us. <laughs> but actually, Jack knew that we just got on so well that, you know, he would put us together. Awesome. And for me, that made good business sense because yeah. me and Alex, again, would just bounce off each other. We worked so fast. We never stopped and gossiped. You know, and we would just really have a really good energy about us, which, again, would just inspire the rest of the team that we were working on shift with. You know, and we would almost act, you know, we would almost put on like a little act behind the bar. We would literally just bounce off each other. So much so that customers would say, oh, my God, you two are fucking hilarious, you know. And it was just amazing because it was almost as though we'd had a script, that we were reading a script but it wasn't. It was all natural, you know. He'd say something shady about me. I'd say <laughs> something shady about him. You know, we were just what you could say was comedy gold behind the bar. Mm. And when we were on double shifts, because me and Alex were the only really ones that loved to work double shift, we'd have the same hour off in the afternoon. And me and Alex would literally just run around to the Koo Bar in Chinatown or um, run over to um, Wardour Street to O'Neill's. And we would just get absolutely plastered as quickly no as we way. could um, but i have to say though not to the point where we just couldn't function you know we would still be yeah. able to handle cash and you uh -huh. know uh, and, and operate but we just had that it, we just drank enough just to get that edge alex you know pushing sambuca shots and then just knocking back as many pints as possible wow i remember one time we was in o'neill's on wardour street and we'd had about four sambuca shots each <laughs> and about maybe three or four pints of peroni and literally just knocking it back, you know, not enjoying it, you know, not really taking out, just literally trying to drink it as fast as we could. And we were walking down the, we were walking down the stairs of the, we were walking down the staircase of the pub in O'Neill's. And I literally just stumbled <gasps> and literally went rolling down these stairs. <laughs> and as I got to the bottom, Alex was absolutely pissing himself. And when I say pissing himself, I mean pissing himself. <laughs> yeah. He literally pissed his pants. <laughs> And he had these small white tennis shorts on. Um, we got outside. And I just remember all the tourists outside looking at me and Alex as I was literally on my knees looking at Alex's crotch going, no, you can't oh see out. No, no, you can't see. And there was like a big piss stain on his shorts. And I'm going, no, it's fine. You'll be okay. You know, it'll dry out by the time we get there. But um, yeah. And we just got, we, when we got into the pub um, with nothing to eat because we'd run out of time. And Jack just looked at us really kind of disapprovingly, but then just had this smirk on his face. Um, you know, so he didn't approve, but he thought it was highly hilarious. And yeah, we just had a really good, good night. You know, the drag queen DJ come on, which we absolutely loved, you know, just playing this really cheesy music, you know, these mashups. And we just, we just had a blast. We just absolutely had a ball. And I just absolutely loved 
working with Alex um, for that reason. Although I was a little bit worried that I might be turning into an alcoholic. But actually, I, I had no worries in that regard. You know, I kind of knew my limits. I knew this wasn't healthy. But, you know, it only happened maybe once or twice a week. You know, it wasn't every single night. Lost Boy Ben made quite an impression on you when you first met. And I know you really shouldn't judge by your parents, but I just was overwhelmed by the fact that his hair was such a mess. It looked like it not not seen a, a brush or a comb in, in weeks. And really? It was like full of debris. And I'm not just talking about, you know, perhaps a bit of fluff from a pullover or a jacket. But what stood out the most was he just had these really dirty fingernails. Wow. A pair of jeans that were dirty, which I, you know, maybe I mistook for the for the fashion because I know that's that, that used to be a thing. And then it's just really, really weird pumps. I just had this terrible urge and I really kind of had to suppress it because it was almost as though I had Tourette's. I just, just wanted to shout, put the fucking lotion in the basket because he was giving me <laughs> Buffalo Bill vibes from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yeah. But he immediately shared with me that he was this massive drag sensation overseas and that he'd um, recently applied and was very bitter that he'd been rejected from um, Drag Race UK uh-huh. and how, in his opinion, what turned out to be quite a few professionals actually on the London gay scene that had made it into Drag Race UK that he was better than them. Um, that his makeup was absolutely amazing and that he was amazing. He was so talented. And he slowly started to show me these videos on YouTube, which were um, amateur at best, really. And I thought, well, I can see why he didn't make it into Drag Race UK because mm. they have a certain bar that you've got to meet and you've clearly not, not met it. Exactly. But I held back from kind of making any kind of shady comments and I didn't share that I'd done drag for 10 years before because I thought you know if he starts to inquire or take an interest and you know I start producing photographs he's going to be maybe perhaps just slightly embarrassed yeah he'd worked in a bar doing drag but he'd never worked behind a bar before so you know I was given the task of showing him the ropes and he just wasn't interested and just kept reminding me that this was just a stopgap for him Mm. and and that this wasn't going to be a career and he was only he was only working there to network um, so that he could start a drag career in London. Really? Because he didn't kind of fit into either the newbies or the originals because he seemed to float between them both. I put that down to the fact that, like he'd said, you know, he was networking, he was there to network. I think he very much didn't agree with what the originals were saying and getting up to. Um, so he would be more on the, the newbie side because we were just there to have a laugh and a joke and a giggle, really. Come to work, do our shit and go home. Yeah. I think he very much was having to float over to the originals because he had to kiss ass with Adam really to try and pull a gig at the pub Mm. um, or try and be put into contact with people where he could get gigs. As I very briefly mentioned in the book, Ben did go around doing gigs and I just heard through other drag queens that I'm, you know, really good friends with that um, that he just never was going to be considered to be rehired again because Ben was just classic you know, issuing checks that his body couldn't cash. That's shady. And talking of shady, Gloria, we can't talk about any more Lost Boys because we've got a totally fictional, non-existent award ceremony to host. Let's get to it. Hello and welcome to the Shadies. The only award ceremony that truly honors the shadiest of shady bitches. I'm your host, Gloria, and my co-host is that shady bitch, William Hampson. Well, thank you, Gloria. And may I start by saying that it's truly an honor to be hosting the Shadies with you this evening. And you are looking gorgeous in that red full-length gown. You remind me of a fucking ketchup bottle. That's shady. 
I hear there are three Shadies up for grabs in the next category. That's right, Gloria. And we'd have wiped the floor with these bitches if we didn't have a conflict of interest and had indeed been nominated. I mean, your luck alone could have won a Shady. Thanks, Will. Informative as ever. Right, let's get to it. Category is The Lost Boys of Soho by William Hampson. A true story of how his HIV status was used by a colleague to blackmail him or be exposed as living with HIV. Wow, they don't half bang out some shit these days. They sure do, Gloria. The Lost Boys of Soho by William Hampson, i.e. my good self, is available on Amazon across the globe as an ebook and paperback on Amazon and all major retailers. So the first shady is for Most Iconic Lost Boy. Over to you, Will, to reveal the winner. Thank you, Gloria. I have the envelope here and I can feel the tension in the room. And the winner is... Perfect. Lost Boy Rudy. That's shady. Who knew streaky fake tan and Kim Kardashian eyebrows are all it takes to be iconic? Uh, uh, in fact, Gloria, I'm just hearing in my ear that the Academy is saying there was a typo. That shady was for most moronic Lost Boy and not iconic. But who cares? I totally agree, Will. Now, the second shady is for sexiest Lost Boy. Over to you, Will, to reveal the winner. Thanks, Gloria. Well, there has been only one nominee for this category, and they say it's a hard one. And the winner is... Wow. Who'd have thought it? Lost Boy Jack, a.k.a. the Fanny Flutter. Of course, the Fanny Flutter. I had a loss of sound there, Gloria, but reading your lips, I assume you're pleased with that result. And now, for our final shady. The big one. The shadiest Lost Boy. I guess you'd have to blackmail a colleague by exposing them as living with HIV to be a nominee for this award. That's right, Gloria. This is the most anticipated Shady Award of the evening as all 19 Lost Boys of Soho are nominated. I'm just waiting for the golden envelope which contains the winner's name. Oh, oh Gloria, uh, in fact, I'm just hearing in my ear the name of the Shadiest Lost Boy is in the book. The Lost Boys of Soho by William Hampson, available in all major retailers across the globe. Well, wasn't that thrilling? That's all from the Shadies. I have been your shady host, Gloria. And I've been William Hampson. Thanks for tuning in. Why'd you have to be so extra? Shut up! Loving the dress, by the way. That's shady. I still only keep smiling. 